We just got done with the book of Romans. Romans is like a good uh, chiropractic adjustment. Hurts, and then it feels awesome. Um, you go through Romans, and it's great because you're like, oh, I, I thought this, but this is what the Bible says. And then I get to make a decision as to whether I believe that or not. And you know what? There were those uh, along the way in Romans. Uh, I, felt that we should, I felt we should go through Romans. I felt the Lord leading that because, uh, it, this is distracting, isn't it? Uh, because it helps us to know this is what the Word says. And you know what? There were those along the way that thought, you know what? I really don't like Romans chapter 1. So good luck to you guys. And you know what? No offense. We're all searching and we're all journeying along and searching and seeking truth. And, but I feel like it helped us. It helped me to dig through and say, what does the word really tell us to do? And as we were coming to a close on that, I was really seeking the Lord as to what we should be doing next. What is the Lord saying to us? And, you know, you look around the world right now of what's, what's happening uh, and think, man, you know, there was another group of people, there, people, there was another culture that was in, that suffered greatly. Uh, we, we've prayed a lot for in, in supporting uh, Pastor Saeed in, in his imprisonment in, in Iran and, and Nader Khani. And actually the, the guys are, this morning are here, uh, Sam Childers is not with us this month. He's actually still in Ethiopia. He's bringing back one of the boys that he had rescued. Uh, if you don't know Sam, the machine gun preacher, well, the rest of us were thinking, what should we do? He just went and did it, which is go get him. Um, and unconventional as it was, he's rescued, uh, you know, a lot of kids. Uh, one of them is coming back to the United States next week, uh, a little guy named Walter that Sam uh, was ended up adopting. He's uh, lost his eye in the battles that went over there, and he's uh, coming over here to get a, a prosthetic eye fit better for him, and he'll be here and Actually, Dito is from Indianapolis, and we, uh, we talked about it. Maybe he could come down because uh, Walter's going to be spending a couple weeks with Dito while he's over here. And so maybe come down and share and hear the stories of what God is doing there. Uh, Lone Wolf is, is here this morning, one of the highest guys in the outlaw biker gang in the world. You know, sitting right here, the guy, Lone Wolf gave his life to Jesus, and now his mission is to these bikers, which these guys are not screwing around, okay? Like, this is a serious ministry. And Chris, and these guys are, actually Dito is, runs the orphanage for Sam in Uganda. Uh, but I bring that up because there's a group of people in Africa right now that are suffering immensely. Whether, you know, Joseph Kony is, is still out there, but boy, what, you know, go to Sudan, go to Darfur, go to uh, Mali. There, are, there is a hatred that is brewing against Christianity, against you and I that is still a little foreign to us here. We're starting to feel it. We're starting to taste it. But the, the vast majority of the body of Christ lives differently than we do. And I thought, well, what better book, what better document, what better Holy Spirit-inspired writing to dive into at a time like this that mirrors a time 2,000 years ago written by a guy named John Please turn your phones off. And if you're texting me, naughty, naughty. <laughs> I'm just kidding. A time when John was suffering along with thousands of other Christians under a guy named Domitian. In the book, if you're following along, is the book of Revelation. 
It's a book uh, that starts, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even all that he saw. And blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This is a book that, uh, when, when I was younger, I avoided a couple of books in the Bible. Revelation, because it scared the crap out of me, and Ecclesiastes, because it didn't agree with my theology. And Job, I, I put that in that as well. But I'm not alone on the, on the Revelation, because you will, like, you don't see a lot of Bible teachers hitting this one. We just kind of don't, that's kind of an uncomfortable book where a lot of Christians avoid it because that whole Kirk Cameron movie freaked us out and so we don't want to go there. I think there's a couple of reasons why people avoid Revelation. I think that number one, we think that, you know, we, we think this is a, a scary book. It's creepy. I mean, when I say this book, some of you think, oh, this is awesome because it'll totally, I've been burying weapons in the backyard and I get, I'm awesome, I'm ready to go. But some of you are like, I don't know, this is, I don't know, man, I might need to find another church. Uh, this is creepy. But when you put it in the context of what it was written and how it was written and whom it was written to, this is not a scary book at all. If you were being persecuted and boiled in oil and lit on fire, burning alive, this was a very comforting book. And to the vast majority of Christians around the world, this book is a source of comfort, not fear. And it's as such because it's really, it, he actually refers to it as a, a revelation of. It's a word in the, uh, in the Greek, for my, uh, my Greek fans, fans of the Greek, in the Greek, the word for revelation there is the word apocalypsis. Uh, I'm almost there. Now, when, that's where we get our word apocalypse from, and I don't know about you, but when I think apocalypse, you know, the first thing because of our culture that comes to mind is, uh, you know, Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now, which, okay, creepy, not good. If you've not seen that movie, just don't. It'll, you know, have nightmares. But it's, that's the, oh, that's scary thing because it's apocalypse. It means end of the world. It's all, but that's not what apocalypsis means. What it means is an unveiling. And when you unveil something, it can be a very exciting moment. Marlon Brando uh, is, is creepy because it's about end of the world and napalm and blood and billows and boils. But this, it says, is a revelation, an uncovering of, a revealing of, it says in verse 1, Jesus. I'm just showing you who Jesus is. And I, I think that one of the uh, guys that, ever, that, that knew what it meant to unveil something that is probably along the, way, the lines of what uh, John was doing here was uh, Steve Jobs. He's not the Antichrist, pretty sure. But they would unveil a technology that you didn't even know you wanted. You show you a, a side of a software and an app and a thing, you're like, but they would build up, it was an, there's anticipation, there was excitement, 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 there was energy, because he was unveiling something new, a new aspect in the world. 
And gang, that is all revelation is, is this unveiling of Jesus. And it's hopeful when you look at the way that the world is going right now. And I know that there are those of you that I've had conversations with where there's a, you feel fear right now. You're thinking, what kind of a world did I bring my kid into? What, what have I done? This is, this is crazy what's happening. And I'm telling you, this is why this book is awesome. Because if you don't avoid it and go right into it and see, oh no, Jesus has got this. It's all under control. And that's what John needed to hear. It's what the people in Rome, in the body of Christ 2,000 years ago needed to hear. It's what the people in Uganda, in Sudan, in Togo, in Mali, in Franklin, in Thompson Station, in Spring Hill, Middle Tennessee, we need to hear, it's all right. It's going to be okay. Put your shovel away. You don't need to dig a hole in the backyard. He's got it. He's got it under control. We stay away from it because we think that it's scary. It's not. The other reason that we stay away from it, number two, is that we think, man, this is a hard book to understand. And I want you to know that I completely reject that notion. I reject it because I think that when you look at what it says in the early chapter, that if, I mean, if you're Satan and you know, hey, this is a book that unveils who Jesus is, and also you know that this is a book that promises its own specific blessing. There are 66 books in the Bible. There is only one that promises a blessing if you know it. And look at this. It says it right here in verse 3. It says, blessed are those who read aloud. That's me. The words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear. That's you. And those who keep. That's us. The words of this prophecy. If you're Satan and you know, hey, this book promises a specific blessing, of which I believe one of those is peace, of course you'd want to keep us out of it. It makes perfect sense to keep Bible teachers just staying away from it, or it keeps you from wanting to read it, because uh, it makes me uncomfortable. But if you take it for what it is and what God really intended it to be, man, it is not scary, and it's not hard. And I'm going to show you why I don't think it's hard. If you've got your Bibles, keep them open there to Revelation chapter 1 and go down to verse 19. Here's why this book is not hard. He says this, this is Jesus appearing to John. He tells him this, he says, to write those things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. Three things, write those three things down. And gang, when you look at the book of Revelation and follow it chronologically, the way that it follows this outline, it follows it perfectly. Because in chapter one, he writes those things that you see. And what does he see in chapter 1? I mean, he sees Jesus. John knew Jesus. He saw him as the suffering servant. You could be excused for not getting it if you were a Jewish man or woman in that day because in the Old Testament, there seemed to be two narratives. One was a Jesus that was the Messiah that was the suffering servant. The other was a Jesus that was the Messiah that was a conquering king. That was the reason they kept drawing their swords and, you know, Peter chops the guy's ear off and Jesus is like, oh no, I apologize. Hang on, let me get that back on there. It's not yet, not now, Peter. But he didn't understand that there were two parallel paths that are both Jesus and it was about the timing of it. This is what John was 50, maybe 70 years after Jesus flew up like Superman 
John saw Jesus, the suffering servant, and this is him saying, no, 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 look, I know you remember that Jesus, and that's true, and that's who I am, but there's this, this, this me, the conquering king, and I've got it under control. He said, write those things which you have seen. That is chapter one, if you're a note taker, Jesus, and if you, if you like fancy uh, things to help you to remember things, uh, it's the Lord's person. Write those things which you see. Number two, he said, write those things which are. And when you go to Revelation chapter two and three, he writes seven letters to seven churches. Seven in the Bible is a number that speaks of completion, it speaks of perfection. And when you look at this, and we will, not today, because we have a Super Bowl. When you look at this, in, it, it represents perfectly, in order, chronologically, a picture of the seven epics of church history, starting with Ephesus, ending in Laodicea, which I believe is our church, our modern time church. Right now, it speaks of a church age. I believe that there's a person on the earth, to, I think today, that makes up the last person to complete the body of Christ. That that person, once they, it's their time and they follow Jesus and they open their hearts to him, that makes up the body of Christ and we get to get on with what the Lord has got to do. By the way, if that's you today, would you go ahead so we can get on with this? Open your hearts to Jesus today. The church age is what it speaks of. A time when, where we are today, and by the way, after chapters two and three, you don't see the church mentioned again in Revelation. And I believe it's because we're not there. Because he said, write those things, number one, that you have seen, which is Jesus, the Lord's person. Write those things which are, which is the church, the church age, the Lord's people. Today, the church age, write those things which you have seen, write those things which are, and then he says, write those things which are to come. And that word in verse 19 is a word in the Greek, metatauta. That's important because when you go into Revelation chapter 4, just flip over there with me really quick, and look at the way that chapter 4 verse 1 starts out. After this... That is the same exact word, metatauta. After this, after what? After chapters two and three, after the church age. After this, he says, I looked and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And, uh, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what is to take place after this. That might ring a bell to you that come up here, voice like a trumpet. First Thessalonians 5, Paul says, hey, there's going to come a time you're going to hear this voice like a trumpet. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and those who are alive and remain will go to meet him in the air. I believe that's exactly what he's referring to right here. Because when he says, write those things which are, and then write those things which are to come, metatauta, Look at chapter 4 and 5, and from 4 and 5, what you see is a church in heaven. The church that has been taken up with Jesus for what I believe will be a seven-year period of time. Why seven years? If you're a Jewish man or woman, you remember the, the way a marriage would go and the way that the bride 
would be chosen, the bridegroom would, would uh, they would make the deal, so to speak. Doesn't sound very romantic, does it? But the bridegroom would leave for a period of time that was indeterminate, and he would go and he would prepare a place at his father's house, a room either inside or adjacent to it. What did Jesus say in John 14? I, I go and prepare a place. I wouldn't tell you that if it weren't true. Prepare a place for you. And the groom would be gone for an indeterminate amount of time. The, the bride had no idea. But when it was time, the, the groom and his men and his family would come marching down the street, blowing trumpets, and it was time. And he would take his bride, and you guys that are getting married, just think about it. They'd go back to dad's house where they would go, think of this for a honeymoon, all right? Forget Tahiti. Go into dad's house, the place they prepared, and they would go into the room while the family was outside. <laughs> Consummate the marriage, and for seven days, they were there alone, just with the bride and the groom, celebrating. And then when it was the end of the seven days, the bride and the groom, he would come out and the groom would present his bride to his family, to his friends, and they would celebrate. It's a picture of what's going to happen, I believe, that we're going to go for a period of seven years. I believe this because Paul says in Thessalonians that we are not appointed under wrath. You and I who are followers of Christ, the wrath of God is not for you and for I because it was poured out on Jesus on the cross. It's not for us. And this time, which is hereafter, meanwhile back on earth, four and five is heaven, chapter six through 19, is a period of time that we know as the tribulation period. It is the time Jeremiah 31 refers to it as of Jacob's trouble. It's called Daniel's 70th week. It's the time where God is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting and a sinful world who will say to them, I don't want any part of this. In the same way that those Jewish brothers and sisters of his rejected him and said, I'll not have you to be Lord over us. Give us Barabbas instead. Those that have said that, continue to say that, they're left behind. That would make a great name for a movie. Somebody write that down. Here's why I think this is, just FYI. You, you, we're going to take a little bit of a trail, but not much. I, I believe that there are three reasons why this is the way that it is. One is to shake up the heathen, okay? And what do I mean by that? This is mercy, all right? When you are in a, a war-torn area, when there's, sometimes you've got to do some surgery, some things that are dramatic to save lives. If you are a uh, lifeguard, you know that you, you jump into the pool when someone's drowning. It's very dangerous, throw them the life ring, you throw them the, the little the, the stick and try to pull them out. And if they refuse all of that, you, you jump in there. The danger is that they'll drown you with them. And what they teach you to do is to slap them, shake them up, wake them up so that they can be saved. And I believe it's clear, and we're going to get into this in Revelation, those things that are to come hereafter, millions and millions and millions of people will come to Christ during this period of time. Because they're going to remember, oh, that's what they were talking about. Jesus is going to continue to make himself available. He's going to send 
Two prophets, Moses and Elijah, in the streets of Jerusalem, they're going to be preaching the gospel. They're going to die. They're going to raise again in front of everybody all over the world. They're going to be 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams that are unkillable, just going around preaching. And if that's not enough, angels in the atmosphere with bullhorns preaching the gospel, God's mercy still exists, saying, please don't choose that way. Millions of people will come to Christ as it shakes up the heathen. And to, and I apologize for this in advance, but to wake up a nation. God made some promises to Abraham that are irrevocable. To a group of people, the Jewish brothers and sisters saying, I make these promises to you. And they have, to this day, Paul refers to it in Romans, is, is even being blinded to the gospel. This period of time, will wake them up. I believe that there will be a, a world leader on the scene who will solve the unsolvable problem, peace in the Middle East. It's unsolvable today. Everybody from Obama to Bush to Clinton to Bush, to you know, they've all tried it. Nixon, I mean, all the way back, Kennedy, they couldn't solve it because it's not solvable. Someone will solve it, and I believe at that point, Israel will look to them and say, this is our guy. Messiah is here. Until he turns on him. Until all the nations of the world it speaks of will, will come together and, against Israel. And, and, and just when it looks like it's too late, just when it looks like it's over, guess who shows up for dinner? Jesus, the bride and groom. He says, Jude says, behold, he comes with ten thousands of his saints. In Thessalonians, when he comes, he's in the air. He doesn't touch the earth, but in this picture, in chapter 6 through 19, when it speaks of what is to come, this great tribulation period, it talks of a Jesus that will come, put his foot on the Mount of Olives, split it in two, change the topography forever. It talks of him walking through the Kidron Valley up to an eastern gate that is still closed. If you're in Israel, which I know some people there today, that eastern gate is still closed. It's locked, but it says he'll open it and walk through it and set up shop. Isaiah speaks of the government being upon his shoulders. And at that point, in the metatauta of this thing, 6 through 19 is a tribulation, but in chapters 20 and 21, it speaks of a thousand years of peace. When you hear these passages, of they'll turn their, uh, pr uh, their swords into pruning hooks, and they'll, there's a thousand year period of peace. That's what it speaks of in chapters 20 and 21. A time when we will be here. We're coming back with him. We'll have been seven years in heaven. We're coming back. And those of us who are believers this side, it talks about us ruling and reigning with him. It doesn't mean that we're going to be, you know, the CEO of the company. But we're going to be ruling with him. It says some will be over ten cities, some will be over five cities. I call uh, the Caribbean the entire thing. Um, Ruling and reigning, and who will we be ruling and reigning with? Look, there will be those who are there, those Jewish brothers and sisters specifically. I believe those ones in Matthew 25. It talks about those who were in prison that we visited. That's specifically talking about this period of time. It will rule and reign with them, over them, so to speak, as they, we're with Jesus and we are in our glorified bodies and we're the guys and girls helping out with this process for a thousand years. And at the end of that thousand-year reign, the end of chapter 21, something really weird happens. Jesus opens up 
the bottomless pit that he spoke of that Satan was thrown into and lets him loose on the earth again for a period of time. Why on God's green earth would he do that? I believe it's very simple that during that thousand years, I mean, imagine, I mean, we're in a church full of breeders, okay? You, you people, Bagsby, I mean, you guys know how to make babies, okay? Fuquay, I can go on and on. Imagine how many babies you could have in a thousand years and when you're, the, the, uh, it's like Garden of Eden. There's no dying, there's no sickness. There's, imagine how many, those are going to be people born over the thousand years who never had a chance to choose Jesus. Love might win, but it demands a choice. And the choice is to follow Jesus or not. And believe it or not, at that time, there will be those who don't choose him. And I think, how is that possible? I don't know how it's possible today. This idea that this is this exclusive thing that Jesus is doing. Are you kidding me? Follow me for the, the, the abundant life that he's promised us and the salvation shows of that whole thing. I don't know why people don't choose it today. It doesn't make any sense. But at that point, there will be those who don't choose it. And in chapter 22, after that period of time, it talks about him taking Satan, that great serpent, that dragon. And I love this because it, it, <laughs> Satan, by the way, gang, is not Jesus' equal. He didn't even, Jesus doesn't even dispatch him. He just sends an angel to do it and throws him into the lake of fire and those who rejected Christ. And if you go into that world, you will go there as a, uh, it, uh, you were not invited. It wasn't created for you. But Jesus did everything, like I said, for everything from bullhorns to crucifixion and angels flying around and but he's in love with you and if I had if I forced Shannon to marry me we could be great roommates but if I knew that she didn't have other choices and let's be candid she had a lot of other choices <laughs> but I know that it's it's a love thing it's not a contract it's the, the wedding ring speaks of love, but it doesn't make us married. It's this relationship. That's what he's offered us. And those that will reject it, that's, it's your choice. You get to. I pray that you won't. I pray that you'll say, oh, that's stupid. Why on earth would I do that? Everything he's done. And in chapters 22, it speaks of a new heaven and a new earth. Why on earth would there need to be a new heaven? I believe that Joe and I were just talking about this at the trailer this morning. The first of those angels that, that rejected Christ along with Lucifer, that was in heaven. Satan still has access to heaven. Did you know that? When he goes as the accuser of the brethren, where do you think he goes? And I believe that Jesus, that God the Father, the Holy Spirit, that they hit the reset button and create a new heaven and a new earth. And in chapter 22, it speaks of forever, the happily ever after part of every movie that you ever wanted to end that way. There's a reason for it because God wrote it in your heart to desire it, and it's coming, metatauta. Chapters one speaks of the Lord's person, of Jesus, write those things which you have seen. Number two, he said, write those things that are. It's chapters two and three, speaks of the church. It speaks of today, of you and me. He said, number three, write those things which are to come, hereafter, metatauta. That's chapters four through 22. 
Gang, Revelation is not a hard book to understand. It comes with its own divine outline. It promises a blessing for us that read it, that see it, that understand it, that keep it. Not to avoid it. And that blessing speaks of us having peace that God's got it under control. Here's why that's important. Go back with me to chapter 1. And if, look, if you've checked out, I get it, Super Bowl Sunday. But if you could, just for a couple minutes, give me some time, because I really, if you don't hear anything else I say, I say today, which is possible, hear this. He says in verse 9, that I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on an island called Patmos. He says that I was your brother, your companion in tribulation. It's actually little t, not capital T. It's actually a whole different word. It speaks of a crushing, a, a, a stressing, a, a fire, a tribulation. Here's why that's important for us here today. It's why it's important for Saeed, for Walter, for Ethan, who is the little guy in Alabama right now, a six-year-old little guy in a pit with a crazed lunatic holding him hostage, going into the sixth day. He said that I was your brother and your companion in, in tribulation. Paul was a hundred, Paul, John was a hundred years old. You can tell we've been in Romans, right? I keep saying Paul. John was a hundred years old. Everybody that he had known by then would have been dead. All of his brothers who were part of the disciples had been martyred. Horrible deaths. Mary, the mother of Jesus, who Jesus looked on the cross and said, John, please take care of my mom. And he did. She's gone. He is alone. It's been said that one of the cruelest things about old age is when you outlive your family and your friends. And here's John had outlived it, and Eusebius tells us in church history that John, under Domitian, who was the new lunatic in town, persecuting Christians worse than Nero, had taken John and boiled him in oil. Dude, fry daddy. I'm not trying to be crass, but that's what it means. Have you been to McDonald's and the little beep, 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 the fries are done? That oil. And he survived. And isn't it awesome? Because what love conquers all. It couldn't kill him. They sent him to an island called Batmos, which was not exactly Club Med. It was a rocky, barren, arid place where he was sent to die. He would have been alone. He would have been isolated. He would have been miserable. But in tribulation, it says that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He could have been bitter, irritated, ticked, but he chose to be in the spirit on the Lord's day. And in that tribulation, hear this, in that tribulation, don't miss this, came revelation. And it came in a way that we had, would have never known Jesus before. It's a way that John didn't know Jesus. And in that moment of tribulation, of crushing in his life, God was using it to bring a new revelation of Jesus that was un unknown before, one that we can be blessed with today, one that back then and these people in the churches in Rome and Jerusalem got and were like, oh, it's going to be all right. Jesus is coming. And it shouldn't be any surprise to us 
the revelation will come in tribulation. You guys remember the story of Abraham as he trudged up that mountain. You talk about some family stress, some family tribulation. My apologies on the penmanship. That's Abraham. He's taking his son, which incidentally wasn't a little boy. He would have been about 33, up a hill. Explain that to your wife. Hey, babe, I'm, uh, I'm sorry about this. I'm declaring head of household on this one. We're, I'm going to kill our kid. And he's marching up this hill. Actually, sometimes your kids are like, you know what? Go for it. <laughs> How he's been acting this week? I'm kidding. He's going up this hill, and at that moment, with the knife raised over Isaac's stomach, an angel appears and says, no, 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 don't do that. And he introduces something really interesting. This is the first time that the word Jehovah, Jireh, was ever used. The God who provides in a time of family stress, in a time of following God that was causing everybody around him to question what he was doing, Jehovah Jireh, not only the God who provides, the God who sees and provides. In a time of that kind of stress. Or you might think of uh, poor Jacob. <laughs> Jacob who that night would lay his head down on a, uh, a pillow of rocks. <laughs> a guilty conscience is not a good, uh, a good pillow. And he would lay his head down because he, he had really screwed it up. He had sinned, he had stolen, he had lied, he had cheated, he had lived up to his name, which meant heel snatcher. And that night he would lay down scared and alone and isolated and feel like, oh gosh, what have I done? I have walked away, my sin has separated me. But that night, remember this, it, was, it wasn't a Led Zeppelin song, it was actually a dream that he had. He saw a stairway to heaven, opened up. Angels coming and going, and what's interesting is that night God would speak to Jacob and he revealed himself in a way. He was in a town called Luz, by the way. Luz, which meant, was almond tree, it speaks of a tree. Whenever you see tree in the Old Testament, look for the cross meaning of that, the cross of Christ, the tree. He went to a place that seemed so dark. The cross seemed dark that day, didn't it? And what did Jesus say on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Maybe you feel that today. But in that moment, just like Jesus, Jacob would hear, he said, this place called Luz, I'm calling it Bethel because God was with me and I knew it not. In a time of tribulation, God appeared to him and revealed himself in a way that had never been revealed before in a revelation that said, God is with me and I didn't even know it. Or maybe you think of Moses who was in the desert with this group of people that they literally had just walked across the sea on dry ground. They wrote the horse and rider song. Anybody grow up charismatic? Remember that one? Horse and rider thrown into the sea. Yeehaw. Anyway, come on, please raise your hand. Somebody swear. Okay, that's embarrassing, but it's true. And for those of you Baptists, it's, it's not. You guys had Pharaoh, Pharaoh, so. Um, but they came across this desert Three days in, they're hungry, they're thirsty, they think they're gonna die, and Moses is like, oh no. Like the boss at work, he is, everybody's against him. What have you done to us? And across the desert, they see this water, and they imagine millions of people, and now there's water. I mean, that would have been a stampede. And they get to the water, and you remember the story? It was bitter. And they called it a place called Mara. 
because it was bitter. And imagine how angry they felt then. Imagine if you're Moses, the tribulation you're feeling at that point. These, these people is about to riot. But it says that God spoke to Abraham and said, no, no, get that tree. Cut it down. Tree, remember that metaphor? Throw it into the water and it will make it sweet. The cross again, making this bitter situation, making it sweet. The Mara that he had. And it was that day that God would reveal himself to Moses as Jehovah Rapha. The God who heals you. It says that none of the diseases that afflicted the Egyptians would be yours. And there's a book out there. It's called None of These Diseases. Google it. Go kindle it. It's amazing how God protected Israel. Wandering around a desert. And none of the diseases of the Egyptians came on them. Jehovah Rapha. A name that he had never gotten. A name he didn't get in Egypt when he was comfortable. When he had servants and eunuchs waving the fans at him. He didn't get that name there. He got it in the desert. He got it in a time of tribulation. Or you might remember Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy goat. Come on. Shadrach, let's just go with the uh, et al. They were thrown into a fiery furnace. You remember the story. Don't make me get out the flannel graphs. And King Nebuchadnezzar looked in, he asked his men, how many people do we throw in there? And they said, three, your nebbiness. He's like, why is it that I see four and the fourth one looks like son of God? And I'll tell you why. Because in that time of crushing, in that time of tribulation, Jesus is in there with you. And you experience him in a way that you'd have never experienced him before. Now, there could be a debate that unfolds here today as to whether God causes it or allows it. I think it's an allowing. I believe that God is not up there with a hammer just waiting for you to mess it up so he can pound one on you. I believe that the enemy brings this stuff on, but God in what he does is he takes those broken pieces and creates the most beautiful artwork that's called your life. And I want to say that today because in tribulation, which some of you are experiencing here at home, some of you have experienced it when you go into all the world, and those of you that are being called to do that know that, hey, Satan, not pleased. He's going to bring tribulation across your path. The Fadleys are going to share next week with us a little bit about their year in India. You know what? They went through some rough times over there. But Jesus, Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees and understands, the God who heals, the God that is with you in the fire, you get to know him in a way that's awesome. When he talks about follow me, go into all the world, man, that is not a drag. It is not a burden. It's amazing because you're going to get to know him. We've talked about it that I believe that one of the best ways for relationship to form is not necessarily sitting in a living room in a small group, but on the, in the world where God is calling you to be, man, you build some relationships that last lifetimes. But the, the relationship that you'll build, that you, you don't even know you're doing it while you're doing it, is a relationship with Jesus. You guys know that. I mean, you gave your life to Jesus. You're an outlaw. People, they kill people for doing that. But you get to know Jesus in a way that I'll never know him in that way. 
I believe that's why it says that when I, he says he'll come and we'll get there in Revelation 20-ish and I'll write a new name for you, Lone Wolf. A name that only he and you know. And a name that will be forged in the fires of the mission that God has got you on. How can we arrive at the revelation and tribulation? It is extremely simple and we're getting ready to land this thing. So get your seat backs up, your tray tables return to their normal position. All you got to do is do what John did. This is not a one, two, three punch, but look what John did. It says that he said to write those things which you have seen. If you're a believer, you're in tribulation, you're going through it. If you're not today, you're going through it at some point. The divorce papers came. The job ended. The relationship melted. The tribulation that the enemy brings across your path, the, the test came back positive. God didn't do that. I don't believe that. But what will he do in it? You could choose to be bitter or you could choose to throw the tree in it and let the cross make it sweet and write those things which you have seen. Man, write those things which you have seen, the way that Jesus has delivered you. 10 to 15 years ago when you were racked with alcohol and drug addiction, write it down. Write what Jesus did for you. 10 years ago when you were caught up with materialism, being sucked into this thing where you just didn't want to follow Jesus, how he delivered you from that, write it down. Write down what you've seen. Number two, write down those things which are. What is he saying to you today? I love looking out and seeing people with pens and papers and smartphones and iPads writing down because you know I've said it before. Sometimes God's going to speak to you here today and you need to tune me out and tune him in. Write those things that he's saying to you today. Write them down. And write those things which are to come. Are you a journaler? Man, in faith, write down, hey, you know what? It is going to be okay. Jesus has got a program. Jesus has got a plan for you and for me, and you can write it down. Write down in faith what you think is coming your way. Gang, Revelation is not a hard book to understand. It's not a scary book. It's a book of hope. It's a book of promise. Chapters 1, it says to write those things which you've seen. It's Jesus, the Lord's person. Chapters 2 and 3, write those things which are the church age, the Lord's people. And number 3, write those things which are to come. Metatauta, hereafter, the Lord's program. And his program for you is good. I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans not to harm you, but to prosper you give you a future and a hope. It's the Lord's program for you. It was the Lord's program 2,000 years ago, and that is what Revelation is a promise. It was a promise to John. It was a promise to them. It's a promise to me. It's a promise to you. It'll be okay. That's why there's a blessing in this book. It's a blessing that can be yours today. Write it down. What have you seen? You can go back to that. I do that all the time, going back, going, oh, I totally forgot that happened. I have a terrible memory. My wife is like, amen. What has Jesus done for you? What's he saying to you today? Write it down so you can go back and remember it. And what are the things that are to come? Write it down because there are good things ahead for you. What are you and Jesus dreaming about? Write it down.
as our band is coming back to lead us in one more song of worship and adoration for our Father and for Jesus, would you pray that Jesus would speak to you today and listen, maybe write it down. Pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. Pray for Ethan in a hole in Alabama right now. That Jesus would show himself in a way, in a revelation that is so unique, that is so profound. And I believe that he can, I believe that he will, I believe that he desperately wants to. He loves you that much. This was never about getting you to sign a contract. It was you getting into a relationship with him, saying, this is, I love you so much, I've done all of this, so that your metatauta, your after this is hopeful. There's gonna be a, an offering bucket that'll show up in front of you momentarily. Don't let it break you out of whatever God is doing in your heart. Just It's a time where you can worship the Lord with, with our own giving, with our own, we're just giving back to God what he's already given me anyway. But know that that's coming. Prayerfully consider what the Lord would have you to do to partner with what Conduit is doing here and around the world. And just as important though, as you're writing, if you're writing a check, write, do that quickly and then write, what is God saying to you today? His metatauta for you. He has a plan and a purpose and a hope. And this tribulation that the enemy wants to use for harm, he says, I'm going to work that together for good for those of you that love me and are called according to our purpose. Lord, would you be real to us today? Speaking to us perfectly, uniquely, revelationally, unveiling who you are to us because you love us like that. For those that are in tribulation right now, Lord, for this little guy, Ethan, man, my heart is just broken for him. I can't even imagine being his parents. I can't imagine being him. But would you do, the, the police, everybody is helpless, but you're not. Would you do something fun and surprising and amazing and do something that brings glory to you, that what the enemy has meant for harm to this family, to this little boy that you use for good. For my friends here, my brothers and sisters that are going through those tribulations right now, the job, the thing, the relationship, whatever it is, Lord, that we're being crushed with, that you would show yourself to us in a unique and a powerful and a profound way, in a way that we didn't know you before. For those of us that are called into mission and do going to our community, to our city, to our nation, to our world, that we're gonna get some tribulation out of that. The enemy is not gonna sit down and just take it. And whatever tribulation he throws our way, that he's already thrown our way, man, that you would reveal yourself in a way like you did to John, in a relationship that is deeper, more profound, one that is forged in battle. Speak to us today, Father. Thank you for this uncovering, this unveiling, this apocalypsis of your person to us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.